Balls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. All right. Welcome to Chief Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I'm Todd Hagopian. And we have one of my favorite libertarians in the house today. Somebody who has had me on her show. And now we are having her on our show. Jen the Libertarian. Jen, you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. My name is Jen Monroe. I am also Jen the Libertarian on my podcast, on Twitter. I have a Substack now. And yeah, I do lots of different sorts of content and I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Well, thank you for coming. And Jen, we'd like to start these uh, Ladies of Liberty episodes um, by looking at uh, kind of your path to liberty. So where you came from and how you got here. And then this is going to be our inauguration episode. So after that, we'll talk a lot about the activities over the last couple of weeks and what your thoughts are there. But start us off with your path to liberty, if you would. Okay, so I was born and raised an anti-war Republican. Um, my mom is of an age where she knew people, she went to high school and beyond with people who were drafted into Vietnam and they did not come home. So obviously there are some very strong views about war in my household. And so I, I was always a Republican, obviously. And it wasn't until Ron Paul, like so many people that are in their late 30s to early 40s, everybody came here through Ron Paul. But up until, and this was the, the 2008 run. Um, and up until then, I didn't know that libertarians existed. I didn't know that there was like a third option. I just thought there was Republican, there's Democrat, and I'm obviously not a Democrat, so I'm a Republican. So through Ron Paul, I figured out like, oh, there's this third thing. And it is a better descriptor of my beliefs than any of the other two parties. So it was kind of like a light bulb moment. I'm like, oh, oh, this is what I am. I'm a libertarian. There it is. And so I've been here ever since then. And about, gosh, I don't even remember how long ago, I kind of just start just like on a whim, decided to start tweeting. And so that kind of took off. And then I started the podcast and it'll be three years in March that I've been doing the podcast. And wow. then like, like everybody else on the planet, it seems I finally started posting on Substack. So I've been doing that since about September. I've been doing it regularly. And so, yeah, I've just been, I've been here ever since the original, the, the OG Ron Paul run. And I actually had like, I, I had like the, the door magnets for my car and everything. Like I had all the stuff. And so I just kind of came through it through that and kind of stayed here because I realized, okay, this, this movement is representative of the things that I believe in and supports the causes that I support. And so I've just, I, I came here and I stayed. That's awesome. And, and you're right. We hear a lot of people that got here through Ron Paul. And that's really interesting to me because I didn't. I, you know, started listening during the Ron Paul movement, uh, but I came later. So what do you think about that? I mean, as we try to grow this party, the fact that so many people um, highlight one or two people as the reason that they've gotten involved either in the past or now currently what are your thoughts on how important it is to get a big name or a big event like that to drive party interest? I mean, I think it's important because it's good for actually getting like press attention and stuff like that. And I think a lot of this, especially for people that came in through like the Ron Paul movement, I think 
you, you can really tell somebody's age. And that's why I pointed it out by telling, okay, you came in through Ron Paul. Okay, I have a general idea of how old you are. And I'm wondering if maybe like Justin Amash won't be the next one like that. Or even if it ends up being somebody like Dave Smith, like we talk to people 10 years from now and they're like, oh, I got into libertarianism because of, I, I saw Justin Amash and I, I liked him or I saw Dave Smith or I saw somebody else. And it, it like that one person that brings people in. So I, I think it's important because like you said, you do kind of need a big name to get attention because like it's a, a crowd attracts a crowd. Like once you start getting somebody who's visible enough to get attention, then more people start paying attention and then it just kind of snowballs from there. I agree. And and just for the record, Justin Amash is who brought me into the movement. Now it was years before Justin Amash actually joined the movement, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but he was the one that got me started on my path to libertarianism. And I'm pretty sure I'm older than you, but, um, <laughs> but I think you're right now that he switched to the libertarian party and the libertarian party itself is getting press. I think it will be this younger generation that saw Justin Amash switch and people like Dave Smith who are bringing in a ton of people through the Mises caucus, you know, and, and other folks I'm sure will pop up, you know, Joe Jorgensen has mentioned a lot uh, from the younger crowd, um, even though they're, you know, mixed reactions on different sides of the aisle, but she still mentioned a lot as uh, somebody who's brought in a lot of people to the party. So I think there's going to be some big names that have brought people in and it'll just be a new generation. But what's, what's interesting about the Ron Paul generation, I think, is that so many of them stayed. Um, and that's gonna be the true test of somebody like a Justin Amash and a Dave Smith and a Joe Jorgensen is how many of these folks 12 years from now are still mentioning their name because they've been with the Libertarian Party three cycles. What are your thoughts? I, I think, like you said, it is gonna take time to kind of figure out who is, I mean, not that anyone can really be the next Ron Paul, but who is going to be that next kind of avatar that one person that everyone just kind of touches on and says okay it was this person or it was that person but I mean I, I think I mean and I I love Justin Amash too and I like what he's doing right now as far as trying to recruit in people from all sides of the political spectrum I mean he wants to do really kind of like a big tent libertarianism and I think that there's going to be there, there's going to be space for that now just because of how absolutely insane everything is right now. So I really support him doing that. But yeah, I think it's it's going to be something that's just going to have to see where people kind of enter the movement from. And I think that there are going to be more people who just due to current events, the past four years, the past eight years, the past 12 years are going to be more willing to take on that libertarian label, which is something that people have seemed to be reticent to do up until now, even people who it seems like their their ideas, their values align with libertarianism, but they're kind of afraid to take the label. So I, I'm thinking, well, at least I'm hoping, in maybe the next six months to a year, we're going to see a lot more people who are willing to openly say, like, I am a libertarian, and it's because of this person or that person. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> and uh, And speaking of the insanity over the last few weeks, I think... The last time you and I got together on a podcast was on a pretty controversial subject. We were talking about impeachment. Uh, you and I both took the stance, I believe, that Donald Trump should have been impeached the last time around. Um, and, and of course, he was. Uh, that was a pretty controversial stance in the libertarian world. Um, but what I liked about the podcast is we got into the actual nitty gritty of the details 
versus the left and the right, you know, prosecution, where was he being prosecuted unfairly? We talked about the details, went into the actual investigation, what was found, uh, and I had a really good discussion. What have been your thoughts on the activities over the last week? And then we'll touch on, you know, the impeachment and beyond. I mean, obviously the Capitol riot, and I'm not afraid to call it a riot, is horrible. And my problem with the discussion around this right now, especially when people are trying to parse out whether or not this impeachment attempt, which is almost exactly a year after the last one, symmetry is just so weird now, but <laughs> but people are trying to, because the, the charges he incited, that's the, that's the charges incitement, the one single impeachment charge right now. And so people are trying to parse this out as if this was just pertaining to the events on January 6th and to his speech on January 6th. And it's not simply that speech, it's not simply that rally. This goes back all the way to the summer of 2020, where he started this narrative that, oh, the, the election, it's going to be fraudulent. They got these mail-in ballots. It's going to be bad. You're going to have people faking votes, and there's going to be dead people voting and illegal people voting. And just starting this this snowball effect of having people question the legitimacy of the election itself and that it ultimately led up to what happened on January 6th where we've gone through the actual election itself went through all the legal challenges nothing stuck they went before the supreme court twice the supreme court shot them down both times and then so we got to this point where congress is doing what it's supposed to do which is certify the election results and then that's when this happened so it's not something that you can say well he on january 6th he gave this speech and he said go go protest peacefully i'm like okay well he also sandwiched that in between telling people that they have to fight like hell and that you have to go tell the weaker republicans that you you got to go make your voice heard and, and kind of shore them up because, you know, they, they need, they need convincing. And it's like, well, how did you expect people to take all of this? And yeah. looking all the way back through, I guess at this point, about seven months of rhetoric, people took him seriously and literally, obviously. And then they went and stormed the Capitol. They made it onto the Senate floor. They made it onto the house floor. Um, there's information coming out now that they came really, really, really close to actually getting to Mike Pence. It, it turns out that because Mike Pence had wanted to stay, he refused to leave several times. And finally, Secret Service was like, we're going now. And that's once he exited the House chamber, apparently it was only like a span of a minute between him leaving that House chamber and people actually breaching into the House chamber. So they came real close to getting to Mike Pence, which yeah. seems to be what they wanted to do because they're chanting hang Mike Pence I'm, I'm assuming they wanted to hang Mike Pence I'm going to take them at their word on that one so yeah it's just obviously I mean you, you can parse it however you want whether you want to take like the legal definition of incitement and cite Breidenberg and say okay there is a very high level from a legal standard of what incitement is but we're not this isn't charging him in a criminal court with incitement this is deciding whether you want to impeach him on incitement and I just find it very hard to argue that this didn't happen. Like this happened because he told people to do it. And now even people like the, the QAnon antler guy and the, the real estate lady have come out and said that, well, we don't think we should be charged with anything because we were just doing what the president told us to do. 
Yeah. So yeah, clearly they right. thought that that's what they were supposed to be doing. So, I mean, I don't know what you're supposed to say to that. And that's exactly right. I mean, there, there's been three or four of the people charged that have said those exact words, like I was just doing what my president told me to do. Um, and I think that's a really interesting. And the other interesting thing that I thought, now I watched all this unfold, like most people probably on live TV, um, and couldn't get any work done that day. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, at first it was funny because the Capitol Police just let everybody in and Capitol Police didn't know what to do. And they were kind of walking around like chickens with their heads cut off. And then it quickly became unfunny, you know, as they got onto the House floor, Senate floor, as they started taking stuff, as they started breaking into offices. Um, and then not only that, but that day, most of the images were still mildly amusing, even if scary, you know, of people sitting in the, you know, the um, majority leader's chair or, or the weirdo with the horns or the, you know, Confederate flag guy being an idiot or the person with his, you know, feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk, like all these things were just kind of mildly, okay, these dumb asses broke into the Capitol and had no plan for what's going on. But now the days go by and we start hearing stories of people who actually assaulted police officers, people who um, killed a police officer, you know, people who were chanting death to Mike Pence and all this stuff. That really didn't hit the news that first day. But the stuff that's coming out now, and of course, in typical government fashion, they came out and said people were trying to assassinate people. And then two days later said, OK, we were over exaggerating that, you know, so now everyone's going to brush off the serious stuff that did happen. Um, but I think that the point of that is, is this was serious. I think he deserved impeachment. I'm glad he got it. But what are your thoughts on the timing? Because my thought is that they probably should have just went through a little longer of an investigation process, got the House impeachment vote. And if the Senate wasn't going to vote by the time he leaves anyway, they probably just should have left that. I mean, they obviously probably have to have the vote, um, but they the focus should have been a good, strong impeachment on the issue rather than a partisan-driven impeachment like we saw last time um, with the Senate removal process that just can't possibly happen in time anyway. What are your thoughts? I mean, I understand what the House did, and I don't disagree with it. And for what it's worth, 10 House Republicans actually voted to impeach along with, I think, every Democrat that was actually there. I don't think it was a full session, but it turns out this is actually apparently the most bipartisan impeachment vote ever. So, I mean, I guess you can make the argument and I'm sure in the Senate now that it doesn't seem like this is gonna happen in time to actually remove Donald Trump from office, you probably are going to get that long investigation. Whether the House should have did it, eh, I don't know, because I don't know as if it would have changed the outcome any. I mean, these are people who, for for better or for worse, I mean, they, they saw what happened. They were there. Like, it's not really a question for them what exactly happened. Like, they, they know what happened. It happened to them. So I, I don't know exactly how much there is to discuss there. But I, I guess, I don't know. I mean, as far as timing-wise, Mitch McConnell's already said he's not going to call the Senate back until the 19th when they were supposed to be back in session anyway. So obviously, this is going to carry over into Biden's term. Whether he's doing that for certain reasons, I think 
I, I think Mitch McConnell has something up his sleeve here. I think he did that for a reason. I'm sure he knows he probably doesn't have the votes right now, kicking it to the next Congress. You're going to have a better chance. And also, like you said, as as this goes on, as the days were on, you start getting more and more information and you start realizing the gravity of the situation. Because like you said, that first day, and I followed it on social media, but you see these clips of people and everybody is posting all of this to the internet, which I don't know what possesses somebody to post the commission of a federal crime onto the internet. That's not a very good idea. But you did have these images of the, the antler guy and then the guy with his feet up on the table and everyone's just like, oh, this people think it's a big goof. But no, there were people there who were dead serious about what they were there to do. They had the, I don't think he's actually been identified yet, but everybody's seen the picture of the guy with the zip ties or actually let me, let me call them correctly since apparently calling them zip ties gets you yelled at. They're flexi cuffs and what looked to be a gun. So I don't think he was there to just shoot the crap with these people. I, I'm pretty sure he was there to do some damage. And there was plenty of other people there who were point blank saying, we want Pence, we want Pelosi, we want to, we want to get at them. There's now videos coming out of these people attacking police officers saying, kill him with his own gun. Like this was obviously a serious situation. So I guess you could quibble about the timing of it, but I understand why the house did what they did. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I thought that uh, zip tie guy, and I'm going to call him zip ties because about that, but I thought that <laughs> zip tie guy um, did get arrested. And I feel like the defense was everybody has zip ties now. <laughs> Just like, yeah. Can't remember the last time I carried them onto a federal property you know, screaming, hang somebody, but okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm in favor of the impeachment. I just think that because it went so fast, you know, it's going to be looked at as partisan. Um, but you're right. There were 10 Republicans that moved over. I just wonder if they had held it on January 19th after, you know, 10 more days of things came out, whether you went to had 25 Republicans because they were no longer scared of Donald Trump's, you know, reign in power. Um, and I'm really just disappointed with the Senate part of it. I just don't understand why we're going through the motions. Um, all that he really loses is Secret Service protection and uh, a pension, which he doesn't need. Um, so he loses a pension. He loses Secret Service protection if he gets convicted, which he won't because it's going to take 17 Republicans. Um, and, and frankly, I don't even think it would be good for the country if he lost Secret Service protection and then got assassinated afterwards. I think that would be bad for the country. I think it would cause, you know, massive unrest uh, and be a pretty bad deal. Um, but that's, I guess, why why I'm not really in favor of it going any further than his term. I just don't see a lot of benefit and I see a lot of, a lot of cause or concern. What are your thoughts on, and of course, we're going to drop this on inauguration day, so there may be plenty of violence between now and then, but what are your thoughts on the opportunity for violence after or on inauguration day it seems like there's been a lot of chatter about people kind of going to state houses um i'm sure by the time everybody listens to this everyone's going to know that the the federal inauguration in dc basically dc is shut down they're supposed to have i think twenty thousand national guard guarding this event they've extremely limited the amount of people that can attend. I believe it's only a thousand people are attending. It's going to be a very small event. There's going to be no outside observers. You cannot go and watch the inauguration if you are not invited. So 
on that level, I don't think there's going to be anything that happens at the inauguration because I just don't see how exactly that's going to happen. But other places, yes, I do think there is a possibility for violence. Um, I know there are protests already scheduled. What that's going to result in, I'm not entirely sure. After January 6th, I would say pretty much everything's on the table at this point because if these are people that are comfortable enough storming the Capitol building, then I would assume they're going to be comfortable enough to do almost anything else. So I, I'm a bit nervous about it. Going forward after the impeachment, I just, I don't see this going away. I don't see this energy dissipating until, I, I would almost say until Donald Trump actually like concedes and admits that this whole thing was a farce, but that's never going to happen. So, and, and even if it did, I think at this point, it's so far gone that even if Donald Trump got up and made an announcement and said, you know what, Th this whole thing, I, it was just, it, it was ridiculous. Do Joe Biden won. The election was fair. It wasn't fraudulent. There was no voter fraud. His supporters would just think, oh, they got to him, whoever they is supposed to be. Nobody ever really defined who they are, but they got to him. And so it, this is just going to keep going and I'm not sure where it ends. And it's a little frightening, honestly. I agree. And I think, uh, I don't know if you heard the Joe Walsh segment, but um, he made a lot of similar points that Trumpism is not going to end quietly or slowly. Basically the argument he made uh, on his own podcast actually was an interesting one. And that's that you know, we're all watching this because we're political nerds and we're on, you know, the social media and the TV watching this every day. There's a number of people who aren't and who have heard things here and there and understand the serious stuff that's going on, but they still truly believe that Trump is going to be president for another term and they're going to wake up on inauguration day and realize that that's not true and feel like the election was stolen all over again. Because right up till last week, Trump is insisting that he's going to continue to be president. Um, and, and even some of their favorite senators and their favorite Republicans are saying the same thing. And so there's going to be a whole section of this country. And think about it, if it's just 5% of the dumbasses that aren't paying attention, 5% of the people that voted for Trump, you're talking about 3 million people, you know, that are going to be super angry that all of a sudden Biden is president. And that anger is going to carry through, not to mention the, you know, 70 million people who who are angry anyway and knew what was going on, but are just still going to be angry. And I think back to the Tea Party after Obama and those protests went on for, I think, years, but at least, you know, 12 months. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking there, this Trumpism is not going to die slowly. How are you seeing Trumpism continue? Is it going to be through his kids running for something? Is it going to be Cruz and Hawley and these guys? Or did last week damage um, the idea that it might continue? I think it's definitely going to continue. I see this happening. Maybe I, I see more the Cruz Hawley route. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure one of Trump's kids is going to run for something. There's already been rumors that Ivanka wanted to run for something. I mean, Don Jr. is dumb enough to go run for something just for the attention. But it's the, the thing is, where we're at right now is not like some fringe movement. You have people in Congress, like actual members of Congress, still pushing this line. You have people 
in right-wing media, prominent people still pushing this line. So as long as you still have this kind of veneer of respectability because you have these prominent people who are still buying into this and pushing it, it's not going to go away. And I'm, I question whether the GOP even really wants it to. That's, there, there's going to be an interesting schism in the party, I think. There are people who still look at Trumpism as a success somehow, despite losing the presidency, despite losing Congress, despite despite all of this, they still view it as a winning strategy. And so they're going to keep pursuing it for, I, I don't even understand why, I don't know exactly how you consider it a winning strategy at this point, but there are people who are still going to want to court those Trump supporters in order to further their own careers. I mean, I, I have no doubt that Josh Hawley is gonna run in 2024. And he is going to run on the Trump platform. He's already positioned himself as that. Whether his name will be completely poisoned by 2024, I'm not sure. It's already taken kind of a beating. <laughs> Polls have come out where it seems that not very many people actually like Josh Hawley. But I'm sure he will run. I'm sure Ted Cruz will run again. I'm sure some of these more QAnon-associated people like low. Lauren Bobert, is that how you pronounce her name? And Marjorie Taylor Greene, who have made it into Congress. I'm sure they're going to keep running and they're going to keep pushing this. So it's not going to go away until people in positions of power stop pushing it. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah, I agree. I think, um, I hope that Hawley is done by then. He should have lost to Peterson to begin with, but they have come up with a Josh Peck just the other day. Um, and that is a pack of ex McConnell, not McConnell, whatever that lady's name is, um, who he beat, I think, uh, staffers who are going to have a pack specifically to make sure he never wins another election again in his lifetime, um, which is probably the only Democratic pack I would ever support because I hate that guy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think he he is going to go all in because he's got nothing to lose now. His brand's been damaged by it. He, it is his brand's now. Um, and Cruz will be an interesting one. We've seen him flip-flop. You know, he was super anti-Trump and, and now he's um, super Trump. So we'll see how he, he he's going to side on the uh, air on the side of um, political expediency. So he's probably going to go with where the wind goes. I think Ivanka is going to challenge Rubio um, and beat him. So Ivanka will end up in the Senate and that will keep Trumpism going unless at some point she comes out, you know, and says half of what my dad did was stupid, which I think is unlikely, but possible. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Haley and Nome part of the party do. You know what I mean? If they, mm -hmm. if they come back as moderates, I think that could be interesting, but that could cause a big schism which would be great for libertarians. So talk a little bit about how you think this whole Trumpism MAGA, you know, and possible split between the party is going to help or hurt libertarians and how we can best take advantage of it to at least make sure that more people are introduced to our ideas during all this. I think that this schism, especially depending on who wins, and I'm I, I try to hold out hope that maybe the centrist will bring the party back, but I don't see it happening. So you already see people abandoning the Republican Party over everything that's happened over the past four years, everything that's happened under Trump. People are just like, this is enough. I'm not associating with the party anymore. I'm done. I'm going independent. I want nothing to do with them anymore. So I think 
the combination of people both looking at the Republican Party and saying, this has gone too far, this is too much, I don't want anything to do with this anymore, combined with the people that were already doing that from the left and from the Democratic Party, there's already been kind of an exodus of people who were like, I was a Democrat, but now they've they've gone too far, it's too excessive, it's too much, I don't want to be associated with them. I feel like that is really where libertarians should be focusing is on that group of people who are politically homeless now. And so you can kind of be the kind, gentle person and reach out to them. And I've talked about this before, and I, I'm sure I've probably written about it before. I know I've podcasted about it before, but just kind of keeping in mind that you do have this group of people out there right now who are politically homeless, and it is going to grow. And that just kind of be kind and gentle and try to meet these people where they're at and kind of, I, I, I hesitate to tell people how to pitch libertarianism, but try to, if you're, especially if you're talking to a specific person or a specific group of people, take five, 10, 15 minutes, sit back, listen to what these people's concerns are, and then go in and address their concerns from a libertarian point of view. I feel like that is going to be the way to bring more people into the movement rather than just kind of the, the way we normally do it. We, we kind of come in a little intense. Sometimes we come in a little hot. So maybe just a kinder, gentler approach to people who are kind of feeling a little bit bruised and battered right now from politics and are just kind of tired and worn out. Like maybe just be be kind to those people and then maybe they'll slowly come around and maybe ask you for some book recommendations or might start asking you hey what's the libertarian position on this thing that is my particular my, my particular passion or my particular concern and then kind of go from there that's an interesting theme that we've heard in these ladies of liberty episodes that we don't necessarily hear when we get the angry male libertarians on like myself, um, which is, <laughs> which is to listen more than talk. Um, and I think it's, it's important that we make that point because I, uh, now is the time when a lot of these folks are looking at libertarianism for the very first time. And I think we all remember when we did that <clears throat> and we're called not real libertarians right out of the gate. Uh, that happened to all of us. You know, it still happens today, probably to all of us, uh, even the ones like you and I and Kevin who are deep into the movement. We get called not real libertarians on a daily basis, you know, um, because people are stupid and they don't understand um, the 80-20 rule and that <clears throat> that we probably agree on 98% of the stuff and not, you know, the 2% that happens to um, misunderstand something that we posted. Um so I think yeah, it's we not a successful day for me if I don't get called a commie and a Nazi. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's an interesting movement in the party that Kevin's a part of right now. Um, and I'm not so much a part of, but I, I'm trying is this Liberty unity movement in the party um, where it's basically trying to try to get that front and center where we don't need to disagree with each other <clears throat> so much. We need to focus on the stuff that we all agree on and get some stuff done. Um, and why that's interesting is because I have heard uh, from people that are investigating us from, um, from a switching standpoint, say things like, wow, there's just as much infighting in the Libertarian Party as I saw in the Republican Party. You know, this isn't very attractive. 
And I think we do need to find a way to end these, you know, so-called caucus wars um, where we're, we're fighting for no reason other than we happen to be in different caucuses inside the party. It's okay to debate issues, but to just go after different caucuses for no reason, I think is silly. Uh, Kevin, talk a little bit about the Liberty Unity Movement, and then I want to hear Jen's thoughts on it. So <clears throat> the Liberty Unity Movement is, um, we kind of have a caucus started, not not totally, but in the, in the early stages of it right now. Basically, the thing that we're trying to do and the argument that we're trying to make is we as libertarians, we spend way too much time arguing over who is and isn't a real libertarian and whose messaging we're going to support. And in reality, <clears throat> the differences, you know, whether it be economics or social issues or whatever, those issues that we have with one another between left and right libertarians, paleos and libsocks and Mises and radicals and prags, those issues were a long ways away from actually having to deal with them. And we can get a lot more done if we set those differences aside and start dismantling the state. And then once we get to a point where we have to make those decisions, then we can make those decisions. But right now, you know, a house divided can't stand and we're totally divided between different caucuses. You know, everybody thinks that every other caucus is racist or not real libertarians and we really just spend a a lot of time arguing with one another you know the the famous saying at least outside of the libertarian party is you know libertarians have been winning internet arguments and losing elections the whole time they've been a, a an association and we just need to our belief is we need to come together and focus on winning these elections on showing that libertarianism works on showing that our ideas work in places outside of our own echo chamber and then once we get to a point where we've dismantled the state enough to um actually have to deal with those issues then we can address them then but right now you know right now we're arguing and, and the point that i always make is i have no interest in being the most libertarian libertarian to ever libertarian whenever i'm in the bread lines <laughs> yeah i can so, oh go ahead no, I was just going to say, what are your thoughts on that in general, Jen? I like the idea of it, and I like it in the like general larger framework of deconstructing tribalism in politics in general, because obviously this has been a problem in libertarianism for a long time, and this is why I kind of I, I kind of giggle when I see this happening in the, the Democrat and Republican parties, because it's like, you know, just come sit next to the libertarians. Let me tell you how this ends. But yeah, I... <laughs> Like, oh, you have infighting now? That's cute. Oh, but yeah, there, there needs to be more, like I said, of a deconstruction of tribalism in general, especially within the party, because I think that we all generally want the same things and we all want the same end results. Maybe we have differences of how we get there, but we all kind of want the same thing. So if we can all kind of get together and realize that and kind of set some of the other bullshit aside for a second and focus on actually getting things accomplished, maybe we could actually get things accomplished. And then maybe, like I said, we can be a little more appealing to people who might want to come into the party, but you look at it and it just, it, it's kind of like that gift of the guy that's walking in with the pizzas and the whole room's on fire. And he's just like, oh my God, I, I think that's how people feel sometimes coming into libertarianism. 
So maybe if we can, we can move past some of this stuff and like you said, start uniting and start trying to actually get things accomplished, then, you know, maybe we can, we can make some headway. Maybe we can finally get a candidate who can break that 5% barrier and get us that permanent seat at the table, which is, that's, that's my goal right now. Like everyone's like, well, a libertarian is never going to become president. I'm like, okay, that's not the goal right now. The goal is to get a permanent seat at the table. So let's start focusing on that. But yeah, I, I support the idea of having a caucus that is more in line with just trying to unite all the other caucuses, which sounds ridiculous when you say it like that. But I mean, that is, that, that is something that needs to be addressed. So I, I support you trying to do that. And uh, that last comment you made, let's finish up on that. So how we get to 5%. So what do you think 2024 is going to look like? I think where we're sitting is probably the best case scenario for libertarians is Biden stays alive for four years and decides to run again when he's like 116. <laughs> and then some Trumpist, you know, is the candidate for the, for the MAGA party. You know, and and then a whole bunch of people are, don't want to vote for super old Biden and don't want to vote for another MAGA candidate. But what do you think is going to happen with the Democrats and the Republicans over the next four years? Who do you think will end up being running and and how do you think that's going to affect us? And then more importantly for us, what kind of candidate does the Libertarian Party need in order to get to that 5% in 2024? Or is that just a pipe dream? I mean, I, I don't think it's a pipe dream. And it's kind of up in the air what's going to happen over the next four years. I, I couldn't even tell you what's going to happen in the next four weeks. Um, I am going to take Joe Biden at his word, though, and say that he is going to be a one-term president. And so for the primaries, you're going to have 2016 and 2020 happen all over again, where both parties just field an insane amount of candidates. It, it's going to be absolutely nuts. You're, that's, this is really when you're going to start seeing the internecine warfare is in those 2024 primaries. And I think there will be space for a libertarian candidate who can be, and, and I know everybody hates this word, but who can be the centrist? Who can be the one who is like, okay, these people are crazy. Those people are crazy. We're at least less crazy than those people. So, hey, why not take a chance on us? Yeah. Um, as far as who the candidate should be, um, I mean, I have my personal preferences. I was very sad when Justin Amash dropped out of the 2020 race, although, I mean, I'm sure he has his reasons. Um, I know there's already people who are thinking about who should run and who is going to run. Um I mean, at this point, I think it's really premature to try to make any decisions on that. Just like I said, I don't know what's going to happen over the next four years. I mean, good Lord, it's not going to be communism, I don't think. Uh, we were told that during the Obama years, and here we are still not in the commie gulags. But whether this is going to be something where Democrats, at least for the next two years, probably for the next four, because I don't see Republicans regaining their majority in either the House or the Senate have free reign to do whatever it is they want to do within reason. I mean, there's still going to be checks and balances and stuff like that, but whether that is successful for them or not, how people react to that is really going to determine what happens in 2024. So 
personally, I think that we need to run somebody who can get press access. I mean, I think that's really the biggie. I think that was the difference between 2016 and 2020 was that because Gary Johnson was already a known figure, he was already a governor twice over, that he was somebody that the press kind of gravitated towards because he's like, oh, okay, this is a, a serious person. Not that Joe wasn't a serious person, but she did not have the name recognition that Jerry, Gary Johnson had. So mainly, I think that's going to be really the thing is running somebody who can get eyeballs and get people's attention and get them paying attention to the LP. And whoever that's going to be, I mean, I, at this point, I couldn't even hazard a guess. Yeah. And I think uh, for the people listening, I'm going to make my pitch again, is that we need three to five serious candidates to announce early and have a very positive libertarian debate you know, over the next two to three years so that walking into convention, uh, we have seen how much money they can raise. We have had a positive debate. We don't have 12 jokers on every internet debate. Um, We've got three to five serious candidates who can raise money and promote liberty. um, and, And we're looked at as serious. And to your point, I think it's interesting if we do get that kind of jungle, you know, primary where there's 40 people running for the two spots on the different sides, and we can come in with three to five strong candidates who are being positive while they're all throwing knives. Um, I think that puts us in the best situation. Now, will that happen? Probably not. Um, But I mean, I think that we have three to five good candidates in the party who could run and start raising money in 2021, 2022, and show how serious they are and get eyeballs based on the fact that they've been running for a couple of years um, and raising money for a couple of years. And I think that's the way we need to go forward. So I hope that we don't do what we always do. And Amash was just as guilty as this, of this as Hornberger and, um, and other people is jump in, you know, with six months before the nomination and try to win the Libertarian nomination without spending any money or without raising any money um, because it puts us, it, it allows us to limp into an important election again, which we do every time, um, except for 16. 16 was the only time where we had an established candidate who had already run before, who had donors, you know, who came into the election and we tripled our vote count. And that's how that happens. Um, so. So anyway, that's my diatribe, but I, I'm really hoping that the Libertarian Party is smarter this time around. We're gonna have a big, big opportunity, probably bigger than 2016 to do some damage um, and get a high vote count. And I think we need to be smarter than we have been with past opportunities. Um, any other issues you wanna chat about today? No, I think that about covers it for right now. Like I said, it's every week brings some new fresh hells. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jen, this has been awesome. We uh, This is a great inauguration episode. We're going to drop this on the morning of inauguration, and then everything's going to change probably every three hours from that day forward for a few weeks. We'd love to have you back, you know, as things do evolve and as we get closer um, to the election, or even as impeachment heats up, if it heats up in a different way, uh, it'd be nice to have you back. So we'd love that. Go ahead and tell people again where they can find you. 
Okay. So as far as the podcast is concerned, um, you can find me pretty much any platform you get your podcasts on. Just search for Jen the Libertarian. I mean, I'm on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, pretty much, like I said, any place you can find a podcast, you can find me. Um, on Substack, it's jenmonroe.substack.com. On Twitter, you can just search for Jen Monroe. I'm there too. And also on Instagram, if you are at all interested, I'm not that particularly active on Instagram. I'm trying to be a little bit more, but that's under Jen the Libertarian too. So that's all the places you can find me and my work. Very good. Kevin, anything to add? No, I think it's been a great episode. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having <laughs> me, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We'll have you back soon. Awesome. Thanks.